All right, Dave, before we get started, uh, I actually got a cool email from Eric Herman. And remember, we were talking about the cats that the old lady who won the bingo game was talking about? Uh, yeah, Oscar and uh, Felix. That's correct. I believe uh, Oscar can clean himself, but Felix can't. Right. Well, um, Eric writes us and he says, you know, the old lady was talking about her cats, Felix and Oscar. Oscar right. And Felix cleaned himself, but Oscar didn't. Right. That's the odd couple. Yeah. See, I that's just, a- I knew it was something. I knew there was a Felix and Oscar. Yeah. And Eric writes, that would be a reference to the odd couple where Felix Unger was a clean freak and Oscar Madison was the slob. Well, you beat me to it, but I got there before I knew it. Yeah, it's a good job, Eric. <laughs> That's awesome. Also, for anybody listening out there that might be in the Maryville, Indiana area, our friends at the Devil's Trumpet Brewing Company actually has Better Call Saul viewing parties every Monday night. That's right. Really and good beer, really good show. Awesome beer. Awesome, awesome place. And actually, if you want to hear what their beer is all about, we actually did an interview with Chris. Uh, one of the brewers over there, and you can find that at Nothing Important Podcast. I believe it's like episode seven. It was a big, long, hour-long interview and just a bunch of great people. I also got to give a shout-out to uh, Greg Williams. Mm-hmm. He's the one that uh, contacted me about his catch of my tool reference, mm-hmm. and he confirmed what you said about the help the help wanted ad. The wanted poster is, in fact, the guy that bumps into him in the bathroom during the Kettleman's meeting. Look at that. Eagle eye. So, nice snatch, Greg. <laughs> All right, Dave, let's watch this show. You drink one, drink two, drink three Long Island iced teas. There's a George Foreman grill down the back of your blue jeans. And all that crying just gave you away. Who knew there was a homeless guy sleeping in there? Better call Saul. Better call Saul. Better call Saul. The FBI finds kids. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is It's All Good, Man, The Better. Better Call Saul podcast. I'm Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host Dave. Dave, how are you doing this evening? I'm feeling good this evening. It's time to pay the sandpiper. Nice. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Dave and I also co-host the Nothing Important Podcast. You can find that at www.nothingimportantpodcast.com. And to keep it short and simple, uh, it's all good, man. Is brought to you by Audible. Go get a book. Go get a book. <laughs> you can get it for free. Bob Odenkirk, he actually has a couple books on there. Make sure to go to our website at sawgoodman.com. Click the banner for Audible. Sign up for your free trial. It helps the podcast. You get something free out of it. Go do that. All right, Dave. We just watched episode eight. Episode Rico. eight, Rico. Man, it's been a long eight weeks. Suave. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed. Who's that? Gerardo? I don't know. I think it was Gerardo. That <laughs> I was just thinking Nacho Grande. Nice. Weird Al. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. So we always talk about whether it's going to be a flashback, flash forward, or how the show is going to start. And I, think I we believe both- two seconds before this sh- it started, we both shouted flashback. Mm-hmm. Which that, I think that's the first time we both called it, too. Yeah. And it was a flashback. It was a flashback. So it was Jimmy working in the mailroom of HHM. That's right. Delivering mails. Kind of... Uh, Hey, how you doing? Hey, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was the friendly guy in the office. Yep. Uh, so obviously, uh, he was hired there as a favor to, to Chuck, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm assuming this... Remember the flashback where Chuck kind of lectures Jimmy in the jail? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, so he brought Jimmy with him, said, all right, come with me, I'll get you a job. Right, like maybe that that's how he ended up in Albuquerque. Right. Was so he could be in the mailroom of HHM. Um, and then he gets a letter, didn't say what it was. 
Well, he goes into Kim's shitty office. I wrote down Kim in <laughs> shitty office. Yeah. <laughs> which is like his office at uh, at the nail salon. This really cramped space. Can't mm-hmm. really fit anything. I thought that was kind of a cool parallel. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, he's got a letter. Right, he gets a letter. Uh, she opens it. She's all happy. She's all happy. Gives him a big old smoocheroo. <laughs> I wonder if this is before or after the robot sex voice started. Oh, man, I don't know. Maybe it was during when the robot sex voice was super <laughs> hot and heavy. And uh, she, she's super excited for him, and then he takes it to Chuck. Takes it to Chuck, who, I don't know, was he feigning See, his proudness or... Or See, was it like, I don't really have to say that. You know how proud I am. Of I don't know. So, like, yeah, right? Because the, the letter was a notification that he passed the bar exam. He passed the bar exam on his and, third and try. And the way that Chuck acted about that, I, I felt it was like a... Well, remember, he said, is this a joke? Right, yeah. At first, he's like, because he, he totally... Jimmy kept it from Chuck. He no idea. Right. But then it also works that he might think it's a joke that he, he passed the bar exam by going to... University of America, Samoa. <laughs> go land crabs. Go land crabs. Go ra- land crabs. <laughs> so I don't think he was, imp- I think he was, like, it's that mixture of, like, being happy, but he's completely unimpressed. Uh, I think he was impressed. I think he was just more stunned. I'm going to go with stunned. Stunned that. I couldn't uh, believe he, it happened. Right, he came from slipping Jimmy and pulling yeah. scams on like, the streets, too. Like, so proud of his brother, he didn't even express it, because he's just like, Wow. Right, uh, like so, maybe he was just like in disbelief. Like, I can't believe he actually pulled through with something. So when Chuck and Jimmy in the flashback, where Chuck and Jimmy were talking in the jail, right? Like he he made a promise that this is the last time that Chuck was gonna have to bail him out. Right, right. You know, and maybe maybe he was also just like kind of stunned that he actually pulled through with something for once. Yeah, and just on, completely on his own. Mm-hmm. And that was like a matter of principle. I think like I'm not going to come to Chuck for help with this. I'm not going to have Chuck bail me out again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this on my own and show him that I can stand on my own two feet, kind of a thing. One one thing that struck me is uh, Chuck said this must have taken years, right? So I wonder how long he, he was working at HHM. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things that we can't really figure that out. This yeah. is a very hard timeline to keep track of because it's the main story takes place six years before Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. They had a flash. The, it opened with a flash forward forward or flash now i guess yeah flash flash <laughs> today <laughs> from of, of what Saul's up to then it went all the way back to him in jail and then before which i perceived as before he I, was in jail right scamming the guy in the alley for the rolex watch right and now it's a flash back to when he's apparently worked for hhm and the moment he becomes a lawyer right but like he still worked at hhm for years right <laughs> so Lots and lots of time jumps. Yeah, because he said it was nights, weekends, it was a correspondence. What mm-hmm. do you call it? Distance learning distance it's called learning. now? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? That's obviously years and years. Yeah. So, uh, how old do you think he's supposed to be in that part then? Man, I don't know. Because the way he's acting, I was thinking like he's trying to play off like he's like late 20s. Yeah. Or even acting like he's early 20s, but he can't pull that look off. You know, right. the hell of a makeup <laughs> yeah. job you need for that. Well, we talked about that before, right? <laughs> he, he looks older now than he did in, <laughs> yeah. in Breaking Bad. Or just like the glad to be here. I don't know, just that little like the happy-go-lucky attitude. Like that's a different vibe than he's given off the entire between mm-hmm. both shows. Yeah. You know, so years. That's okay. I can't, because you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to put together. Oh yeah, like a timeline. <laughs> I'm gonna start working out as soon as the series is over. I'm gonna try and piece together the timeline. You're gonna try to. Piece I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna look through all the flashbacks and see if there's any kind of uh, connection, like 
We're somebody pointed out the Breaking Bad certain flashbacks. Those episode titles added up to a sentence. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna yeah I'll do that after the show wraps after the season wraps. So the uh, the opening title sequence <laughs> was a tarantula under a tie. And what was it, Dave? It was uh, maybe we should have Doug answer that. Hey, Doug. Yo. <laughs> what what was it? A, a tarantula under a tie. What was it, Doug? Tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> just to just to uh, clue everybody in on the joke. Um, that was the first thing I said when I saw that. I'm like, oh, it's a tarantula, <laughs> and uh, I'm determined to drive that into the ground until it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, my brother's watching the show with us today. He's sitting right here with us. He just heard him, and I don't know how many times he told <laughs> tarantula. Which, by the way, uh, Doug, happy birthday, Doug. Thanks. Can't believe you remembered. Yep. <laughs> Every day is Doug's birthday. All right. So then the next scene, uh, it seem, it appears that HHM gave Kim her office back. Yeah. She was, it seemed to be unpacking. I couldn't tell if she was unpacking or packing. It, well, she was putting the, her diploma back up on the wall. That's, no, that's how right. I took it. She was unpacking her shit. So, because remember, she got moved to the cornfield. That's right. The cornfield. And now she must have got her office back because Sal or Jimmy totally saved her ass. Right. And it appears that the, uh, the Kettleman's did take a plea agreement yeah they had the news article and that that seemed to kind of be like a wrap on the kettleman's right well it was like a press conference yeah i'm it, sure they'll come back but i mean like show wise like that's a show a series wrap on the kettleman's you know? right but well, it'll probably come back well there's only two more two more episodes so like maybe something will come up next season yeah or something but uh with the current storyline that they appear to have going now going into the to the last of the season like that's that's probably that's probably it for them yeah i think they're they might be done it might be done. That was a good storyline, though. I really, I really like that storyline. Yeah, I mean, and and the fact that, like, I mean, kudos to, um, forgive my ignorance, the lady that plays Betsy Kettleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I hated that character. Yeah, I still hate that <laughs> character. So good job, because I bought it. I hate you. Yeah, she was, <laughs> <laughs> she was a very um, like abrasive character. Yeah, like almost hard to watch. Yeah. Like, which is just great, great for her acting ability. That, that's pretty awesome. But. Yeah, it's, yeah. If you make the audience hate you, you did your job. So then, uh, Jimmy is with Mrs. Landry and finishing up her will. Tries to charge her one hundred forty bucks, right? And all she has is forty three. Forty three dollars. It took her about twenty minutes to find it. Yeah, it, <laughs> unwrap it. You got every cookie jars. Right, and then she uh, talks about her allowance. Wait, but oh, I was gonna say at the bingo because that's the lady that won the bingo in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. But she didn't win cash; she just won a cute little notebook. A cute little notebook <laughs> with, with the cat. Yeah, remember she went to the story about Felix and Oscar. Right, because if she would have won some cash at bingo, then she could have paid for her will. Right, or but then, the, but then that, that wouldn't have worked out because uh, Saul is. Uh, financing that whole bingo thing so it basically would have been him taking his own money back for his own work why didn't she just bequeath him 140 dollars in her will yeah she's gonna die soon anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably get it faster but uh, sal tries to, to do the nice guy thing and he's like look you don't have the money right now let's mm-hmm. just basically send me a check mm-hmm. for 120 bucks when you have it and we'll call it even right so she makes the comment that she can do that when she gets her allowance which sets things in motion yeah for he the, was out uh, the door he's ready to go home on the next client well, he was like, out the door he's like halfway yeah. down the sidewalk and he turned back and he's like wait what allowance yeah 
See, I, I don't think I would have turned back. I would have just assumed she was talking about Social Security or like her family sent her money or something. Yeah. When she said allowance, I kind of caught notice that like, what the hell is she talking about allowance? Like, who's allowing her money? But yeah, I just kind of let it go. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it, I would have delved that much into it, but I'm not a lawyer. And then his intuition just kind of kicked in. He goes back, knocks on the door, and he's like, what, allowance? What did you mean by that? Like, Social Security right. or, or people send you money? Because he's fucking Matlock, dude. He, he is. He, <laughs> that'd be awesome if, like, in the next two upcoming episodes, if there's some sort of reference to a Matlock episode. There's probably a bunch that we don't get because we're under 60 years old. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I know about Matlock, I learned from The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think somebody the other day did an old person Matlock reference, and I was just like, yeah, Simpsons did it. Right. And, and the way that she explains it is pretty much like all of her money goes into an account with uh, the Sandpiper. Yeah, they all of her money goes into Sandpiper. Sandpiper delves it out, takes their fees, takes whatever they're owed, and then apparently makes purchases for them. Mm-hmm. And charges them for supplies. Right. Overcharges them. Overcharges them. So this is where we realized how... F- this is where we realized how extremely wrong we were mm-hmm. last week. We thought Chuck was going to be taking on banks... Right, yeah. Because we heard overcharging was the word, I think, that triggered that. Mm-hmm. And, like, the shredding of the papers and all that stuff. But, no, that's when I realized, like, oh, he's going to be battling against the nursing home. Yeah. Because they're the ones mishandling his money. Right. So, way off on that one. Yeah. Uh, swing, <laughs> swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. <laughs> but, then, but we did actually find out the reason why, because we debated why did he drop off the wills at Chuck's house. Right, yeah, that question we, we was thought it was well. We thought it was pretty much, I think our consensus was pretty much, we were saying he was basically trying to establish legitimacy for his activities. Right, he's just like, because look, he, he cares look so- brother, here it is. Here's right. my proof. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't at all. It turns out that he just kind of left it there so Chuck would file the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he knew that he would go through it and do it for him. Right, but it worked out because, you know, all the paperwork was right there, and he, he got um, Chuck's help mm-hmm. for the uh, fraud. That's right. And which Chuck was kind of hesitant at first to buy into it, you know, mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that they were treading carefully in that situation. Right, and then Sal goes back, and they're shredding papers. You, you could just kind of hear the noise of the shredder. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was kind of a cool correlation because at the beginning of the episode, all you heard was a copy machine. Right, yeah, co- constant machine noise in the background. Mm-hmm. And then they brought that back when when they were shredding because there was a while there were, you know, a lot of the audio was just the noise of the shredding. Yeah, they were shredding like Slash and Welcome to the Jungle. Right. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that he, he, uh, he kind of got kicked out by the two, like, I guess nursing home thugs <laughs> like, yeah. right? they threw him out and he comes back make up a story about having irritable bowel syndrome mm-hmm. sits down on the toilet uses the back of a notepad and some toilet paper to write uh his demand yeah letter his demand letter that's right which is, is that legal i'm gonna have to ask my lawyer friend if that if that's le- I, I, I would be. think something like that would need to be notarized that's what i was thinking i was like where's the notary where's the notary but right. aren't our lawyers notaries I don't think they are. I, I think. Or you notary- have to third party notarize it, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, but Chuck was like, this is on the level and everybody was agreeing that the le- the demand, le- nobody questioned the validity or the content of the demand letter, just the medium on which it was written. Right. And they, they even said that like, well, this must have been single ply. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Focus. Don't focus on the medium. Focus within the content. Right. So I guess that's a real thing. Then they went to commercial. Right. And then it comes back to Mike in the uh, toll booth for the parking lot. Right. And he's talking to Stacy on the phone. And all it is is he pretty much agrees to watch the granddaughter. Yeah. And I like the fact that um, he's so wrapped up in the conversation because he cares so much about his granddaughter. I think that's where they're going with this and why they even showed the scene. He's letting cars go through. He's like, get out of here. Get out of here. He gives Saul so much grief about a couple stickers. Right. But he's in this. When it comes to his family, he's so wrapped up in it. He's like, just get out of here. I Just move on. I'm going right. to phone call. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to think of that scene because at first I was like, oh, that's kind of filler. Like, mm-hmm. like why they why even waste like the two minutes on right. that? Right. <laughs> Other than to set up the fact that he's going to meet with Stacy later. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, uh, which we have a good um, listener comment about that, too. And we'll get back to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, remind us when we get there listeners that we need to talk to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you guys out there listening could shoot us a note yeah. all right anyway. so long long story short it was pretty much just character development for mike yeah which i i dug because i always love a little more mike character development mm-hmm. big fan absolutely yeah then we finally get to see um jimmy for, in yeah. his car on a stakeout that's right <laughs> checking things out i i didn't quite catch that on but you you think he sat there all day no. Because I, when he was climbing to the dumpster, he was in his Matlock suit still, and I was like, why didn't he just go home and change? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I didn't really think about that. I did kind of think about why the hell is he still in his Matlock suit, but I just kind of figured like he went there after hours and then sat there and waited. Mm-hmm. So not all day, but like probably as soon as like the office hours were closed, and yeah. then they're going to be taking the trash out. Probably with the intention. Right. Well, he didn't know they took the trash out, so he must not have been there all day. Like He must have just came back, probably waited for it looked like to be... Minimal employees, right? And then under the cover of darkness, hops into well, the dumpster. Well, I, I meant, yeah, I meant like he assumed the trash would have been taken out because obviously we saw later, mm-hmm. you know, that they dumped the trash on top of him. Right, and they found a soily diaper. Yes, yeah, and uh, you kind of made an offhanded comment about that, like what's what's in the dumpster? Yeah, what's in the dumpster? Diapers? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. So Jimmy goes dumpster diving. He goes, yeah, he doesn't find anything, but he gets a phone call from Schweiker. From Schweikert and Copley. Schweikert and Copley. Or he gets a phone call from Schweikert of Schweikert and Copley. Right. And he's pretty much telling him that you're full of shit. Right. You got a piece of toilet paper. You should have used two-ply. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 this isn't going to stick. This is some frivolous, Um, what was the word he used? Where he's, like, shakedown. Shakedown, yeah. Yeah. But I, I like how um, Jimmy, like, stuck to his guns. Oh, yeah. For somebody, for somebody who's never been in that intense of a lawyer situation, it's, it's amazing how many how much balls he has in that scenario. Right. But I guess we've been kind of watching his confidence build throughout the whole yeah. series. Yeah, and maybe it does help that Schweiker did say he knows Chuck. I'm calling you out of courtesy to Chuck mm-hmm. before we just sanction you. Right. That was the word he used. Yeah. Right, because they were they were trying to intimidate him. So when you're when you're when you're kind of you know sometimes you talk to an acquaintance of an acquaintance, you kind of have that familiarity in your head already, mm-hmm. and you just kind of you can talk to somebody like that so you you think that gave you no, think that gave jimmy like confidence like all right well you might know him of him but like i'm his brother so like don't try to threaten me with him kind of deal yeah kind of something like that gotcha and then he gets out of the dumpster and right on top of the recycle bin oh, is that's right it was the recycle bin amateur move on the nursing home <laughs> amateur Amateur move. If you're going to be a criminal and you're going to shred shit, yeah. don't put it the first thing in the recycle bin. Right. And I was sitting there trying to think of the company that destroys your documents for you. Oh, like Iron Mountain? 
I don't remember. What this and if you're work where Iron Mountain would like to sponsor <laughs> the It's All Good Man podcast. Well, I guess maybe they didn't have that stuff back in 2002. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. It's a good thing they didn't cross shred. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Yeah, could have burned it. But on a side note, I just think it's good that they were actually using the recycle bin for recycled paper because I live in Chicago. And for our uh, for the three flat that I live in, we have like two garbage cans and a recycle bin. So pretty much how I see it is uh, the city of Chicago just gave me a big blue garbage can. <laughs> and apparently it's never an issue because they just empty it like it's a garbage can. Like it's amazing when you watch the trash man, you go through all that pain in the ass and there's like a recycle bin and garbage cans and the same truck picks them both up. <laughs> right. So when he answered the phone in the dumpster. And like, where are you at? <laughs> Why are you whispering? I'm at the opera. He's at the opera and then just pulls the magic flute out of his ass. Figuratively. Right, figuratively. Mm-hmm. But I like how the I like how Schweiker was familiar with the work. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh Mozart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, he is a lawyer. You know, he's right. he's well to do. Indeed. And I think that is purposely put in there to show that Schweikert is a well-educated man. Mm-hmm. Very you know, cultured individual. Jimmy's the lowbrow. Right. Know, and, and Schweikert's the... Hanging on the dumpster with diapers. That's right. Picking up shredded paper. Yeah, Schweikert's just making phone calls on a cell phone. Indeed. Mm. So Jimmy takes the shredded paper. This is blowing my magic flute. Jimmy takes the shredded paper back to Chuck's house and attempts to put it together. That's right. Very much so like the Penguin and Batman Returns. Yes. It was very... A lot of parallels <laughs> between the penguin and Saul. <laughs> well, the penguin lived in the sewers. Mm-hmm. He was raised, you know, well, much like Saul himself, raised in the sewers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, horribly disfigured freak. Yeah. You know, and then we know, like, you know, Jim McGill would go around kidnapping children. Right. <laughs> so stupid. And it was kind of surprising because uh, Chuck woke up and was like, What the hell are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Jimmy passes out, and Chuck. Chuck gets to work. Chuck gets to work. Apparently, he's got some jigsaw puzzle skills, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, we were watching it because, like, Jimmy didn't get anything done. I think he just had techniques, so that just tells me that Chuck's probably done that kind of work before. I I think so. I think so. And I think, uh, I mean, it it didn't seem like Jimmy was at it that long. It it seemed like they were kind of going montage at first, Mm -hmm. but I think he probably spent maybe, like, a few minutes and just passed out. Well, you know, that's probably correct because Chuck made coffee, and it only takes a few minutes to make coffee. Right. So he brought the coffee back, and uh, And Jimmy was already passed out. But he had separated everything into piles. He did. Oh, by color. Yeah. He did it by by color of the document. That made Chuck's job easier to just go through the the similar-looking ones and Mm -hmm. put together the smoking gun. Right. Then that's when it's revealed when uh, Chuck puts together a whole document by the time that Jimmy wakes up Mm -hmm. and uh, they just kind of leave it out there. It's the uh, Morrissey medical supply and they don't really tell why, but they're just like, he's just like, Hey, this is your smoking gun. It's an invoice for Morrissey medical supply. But they did mention Lincoln, Nebraska, I think. And I caught that right away. I knew it was going to be something to do with the location because he said, you know, it's not who, not what they're getting, where it's from. Mm -hmm. And then it said Nebraska. Mm-hmm. but that's all I knew is that it was something because I'm not a lawyer. Right. <laughs> then Chuck goes legal crazy and just starts railing off a bunch of shit that they need to look up. Right. And I tried keeping up with it, but there was no way in no hell chance. I was going to be able to keep up with that legal yeah. stuff. So I'm just going to say uh, Chuck knew his shit and told Jimmy exactly what to look for. <laughs> and Jimmy calls Kim who conveniently is still at the office. <laughs> right. But I got to mention 
the part where, you know, Chuck says us and Jimmy's like us. And that's when you were right about Chuck helping Jimmy out with this. Yeah. yeah. Which is nice to see. It's nice to see brothers get along. Yeah. Fucking hate my brother. But- Tyrantula, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrantula. So I, I did like um, uh, a couple things that struck me as funny. They were trying to figure out like whose who's account to expense the printing. Yeah. It's going to be thousands of pages and hours of work. And um, I did actually try to find, find something because he made the comment. He's like, well, Howie's code is 1933, the same time Hitler rose to power. Right. And then they found out Chuck's was 1868. Right. And I totally went on Wikipedia and tried to find something that would correlate with the show with 1868. So I didn't find anything, but I'm pretty sure that uh, one of the listeners who's way more insightful than us or like way more knowledgeable than us on that uh, will probably find some sort of case law or some <laughs> some legal precedent from 1868 that would coincide with. But why that was significant, why it was significant that Chuck gave the okay to use his code is because he's teaming up with Jimmy for a potentially major case, but he's using, it's interesting that Chuck is using Hamlin, Hamlin McGill's resources to print out the thousands, thousands of sheets of paper, thousands of sheets of paper. And now that I say that, I wonder if uh, that's going to cause some sort of rift because Kim kind of alluded to the fact that he might be breaking some sort of like non-complete clause. Like yeah, he can't work for somebody contract, else. Yeah. And he says like, look, I, I, uh, Jimmy was like, look, I know his contract and, and it's okay, but on pro bono cases. Well, he, he says it's okay. And then Kim says, well, that's meant for smaller stuff. She's, she's, uh, assuming or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, that's just meant for smaller stuff. And then Jimmy's like, no, that's meant for whatever he wants to do. It's totally on, on the level. You know? Right. But do you think that, that I think that'll come back on the, on the bullshit yeah, I think that's. I think Jimmy's gonna get caught up in that one, right? I th- I think that they're gonna use the whole like using another like a competing firm's resources. Yeah, like what if they accuse him as uh, of theft or <laughs> you right. know something and, like? And Chuck hasn't been there in eighteen months, and all of a sudden he's working mm-hmm. with somebody else before he's taking a job with someone else before taking a job with HHM. Right, and they they already mentioned, you know, because it, it seemed cleared up, but like it, you know, it was very pointed that there was some debate of whether or not Chuck could do that, even though it was a very minimal debate within the show, uh-huh. they still raised the question. Is it okay for him to do that? And you know, Jimmy's like, uh, it's okay. And Kim doesn't seem so sure. Right. I wonder if Chuck is going to be either forced out or fired by Howie, you know, taking over shares or something like that on the premise that, well, not only did you, you break a non-complete clause, a non-compete clause, but you also use resources from our company to assist a competing firm. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this just in hot off the presses from our information desk. Uh, Doug, hand me the, uh, Dave, the paper. Dave, I understand you have some exciting news. That's correct, Brian. We have some exciting news about Chuck's pin code. Oh, why don't you fill us in, Dave? Well, apparently uh, 1868 is the year that the Treaty of Bosque Redondo was signed allowing the Navajos to return to their lands in Arizona and New Mexico. I find that interesting, Dave, and how do you feel that that correlates to this particular episode? Because Chuck's trying to return to his land in New Mexico of the law firm of HHM. Mm, how insightful and totally not a stretch premise at all, Dave. No, not at all. <laughs> all right, and we'll, we're now back to our regular scheduled programming. <laughs> all right, Dave, that, that was weird. <laughs> we, 
like the live news cut into our podcast. <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. With some bullshit really thin trying to connect some things for pin numbers. Right. Odd. So Mike is babysitting Kaylee. Mm-hmm. And Stacy gets home. Right. And they have, a, they have a conversation about what to do with the money. Right. Like she wants to know, is, is, it, is it okay to spend this? Right. And wants Mike's opinion on it. Right. Before. Or not even his opinion, just like if he knows whether or not she can get in trouble. Like, is this money traced? Mm -hmm. Kind of a thing. That's where I thought they were going with that. Well, our listener, Spam909, and he actually sent me this from last episode, but we had some of our uh, technical difficulties with the one microphone (laughs) and such. But he actually wrote, I just watched the episode again, and Mike's daughter-in-law is definitely wearing a wire. She's fishing, trying to get Mike to admit the killings, which he doesn't, but he did admit to being dirty because it hasn't because the, the two detectives, it hasn't been established if they've talked to her yet or not. They kind of touched on that. They've contacted her. Oh, yes. But they've never shown if there was an actual meeting between the two. So spam 909 believes that she is trying to set up Mike and she's wearing a wire. I don't think that's the case. I like that theory. It's a really cool theory. Mm -hmm. I just don't see how she would even go along with that as a person. Like, you're going to try and bring down your father-in-law for avenging your husband's death. But maybe she doesn't see that. Like, that's fine that he avenged her husband's death. Mm -hmm. But maybe she sees Mike as the cause of it. He's the one that talked his son into uh, playing ball, so to speak, into becoming part of the problem to taking money. Right. He's the one, he's the one that, you know, told him to take, take the money. Maybe she blames him for his death, but I would interpret that as Maddie was fucked either way. Mm -hmm. No matter what he did, apparently he was going to die. Right. But turn him in. They're going to kill him. And if you went along with it, they were going to assume he's going to turn them in. They're going to kill him. So I can't, I don't, I don't really see her blaming Mike. But does it, does it really have to be rational? Like people, when, when bad things happen, they always look for somebody to take it out on, right? This is true. She can't take it out on the two people that that killed Maddie because they're dead because Mike killed them. Right. Right? So who's the only person left that's involved that could have been somewhat responsible for Maddie's death? The gang death? they were protecting. Remember? <laughs> Remember? Uh, he broke his boy. You know what I mean? That's like, true. Like, that was a pretty powerful moment, right? Right then, and you know, like... He and Mike's kind of shouldering the blame, right? Oh, and Mike's blaming himself, right? And so, like, maybe well, she no. Is Mike too. doesn't blame himself. Mike regrets the fact that that he told Maddie to play ball and he still died. Well, spam nine oh nine. I'm on your side. I'm going with. I'm going with. She's wearing a wire, and she just wants somebody to pay. Like she wants to get everybody involved, and she can't do it to the two uh, officers that are dead. So the next best person is bringing down Mike. I'm going to go the other way because if that becomes true, that's really dark. Really dark. For her to take down Mike, her father-in-law, who avenged her husband's death, mm-hmm. I just don't see I don't see that happening. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Right. So then we go back to Schweiker's office, and he starts getting a fax. And he gets a fax. And he gets uh, faxes, facsimiles. Uh, Sorry. And he gives facsimiles of the now reconstructed fraudulent bills. The smoking gun. The smoking gun. In your face. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And they head off to Chuck's house for uh, essentially what it is is a negotiation meeting. That's right. 
you know, Schweiker and and uh, Alan Reese and Phil Jurgens. Mm, very good job with the names. Yeah, I wrote it down. So, so basically, Sandpiper's people are saying you have nothing but pretty much to make it, it was it was pretty much just like an accounting error. Yeah, they're, they're saying there, so there, there's a, something wrong, mm-hmm. but it's little. Mm-hmm. So to make it whole. We're we're just gonna offer like forty two thousand dollars, right? And you know what? For your troubles, we'll give you guys forty two thousand dollars. Well, we'll just call it a hundred thousand. We'll just round it up to yeah. We'll just round up to a hundred thousand. That way, everybody's whole, and then this whole thing goes away. So, what did I say after that? You said that if somebody is willing to make a settlement for that small of an amount, that they're probably guilty of something, and there's room for more. Pretty much, yeah. Like like the lawyers know something. They're like. Uh, shit, uh, you know, it's like hush money. Maybe, much. yeah, but not even necessarily. The lawyers might not even know. That's what the company says they're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. So the company knows. Yeah, but the, the lawyers are there to make those those kind of arrangements on the company's behalf. So they have to be clued in to the operations of the actual company. So I'm I'm thinking like, you know, uh, Sam Piper's lawyers. Obviously, obviously, since they had the demand letter, they had to do some sort of research just to figure out. What, what the hell it was all about, because it was spelled out in the demand letter, and then they probably went through the records to make sure that it, they um, had, just to make sure that they didn't have an actual case. Right. They probably right. saw some information that could uh, corroborate, you know, Jimmy and Chuck's claims. So they came up with, well, let's just offer them a settlement and a little bit of money for their services, and that's just how we'll sweep it under the rug and make everybody whole again. That's just how we'll. And I think you said that like, you'll never hear from us again. Or yeah, you'll never hear from us again. Let's put you know pretty much like let's put this water under the bridge. Right. Let's put this all behind us, all for a hundred thousand dollars. But Jimmy and Chuck pretty much scoff, right, at the settlement amount. Sal go or Jimmy goes, pretty much starts to school him. Right. Right. Starts talking about you know interstate commerce, Rico. Pretty much tells them that they're full of shit. They're going to have to up their price because they know that they have a case. Right. And like they may have some trouble developing and proving and establishing some premises, but they have a case and both sides know it. That is correct. Right. That's the way I interpreted that. Right. So uh, how much do you want is essentially what was asked. Yeah. And then Chuck shocks everybody and says $20 million. Boom. And what, <laughs> what I love about that was uh, Jimmy's reaction. He, he was, what? Yeah. <laughs> $20 million? Like, we should have talked about this. <laughs> like, that, that's a real payday yeah. <laughs> right there. You know, finally the big <laughs> the big payday uh, he was looking for. Mm-hmm. Which is funny that Chuck dropped that huge number with all that confidence because before the meeting started, he was all freaking out. Like, he's getting almost like Jimmy, you know, with the showtime. Like, he's right. He was kind of like, oh, I'm getting back in the game. I'm out of the game. He was a little right. nervous. Yeah, he had to have some me time. He was a little unsure of himself. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, okay, it's real again. Yeah, you know what but I mean. Then, like but, these dudes are in my house, right? You know, and that's probably when you know, and he was probably developing the twenty million dollars. You know, and he's like, man, I'm I'm not just like wading back into the pool. I'm jumping yeah. in the fucking deep end. Like, like I'm about to drop bombs yeah. on people. Right. He probably yeah. knew, like, oh, they're gonna come up with some bullshit number, like a hundred thousand or so, and I'm just gonna fucking waylay them and make this like a huge like. <laughs> case of the century and hit them with $20 million requests. I'm going to make this shit get real, real quick. Absolutely. So it was cool. Yeah. And then, you know, they mentioned the 12 facilities, which, in, in which is a big player in Chuck's mind about how much to ask for. Cause that's that many more people getting fleeced 
Well, and not only that, because it makes the the RICO case bigger because he says they have 12 facilities. There's no way that they're all just in New Mexico. Right. So they're probably committing multiple offenses system-wide. Exactly. Like, just as as course of operation. Right. So wasting no time, Chuck starts work. Feet first. Defend. And he says, like, hey, man, we got to get you back on property. Right. Because they pretty much kick you off. So he was looking for a, a temporary restraining order, a TRO. So I think what he was looking for was for some sort of injunction, like temporary restraining order saying that, hey, the lawyer can be on the property. Keep your fucking people away from him because now it's becoming like a huge legal issue. Right, right. And he said, hey, do you want to get started on that? Then it cuts to the next and day. You don't, and you don't want to be committing any spoliation. Nice, nice. Had to work it in somewhere. Absolutely. So then it cuts, it cuts to uh, the next day. Jimmy comes back from the mall where he signed up like three power walkers or yeah, <laughs> whatever right. at the mall. That's for the class action. Yeah. Falls asleep on uh falls asleep on the couch after he says, like, hey, I'll go get the I'll go get the notes. Mm. I'll go get that later. Chuck, not even thinking about it, is is now back in lawyer mode, you know. So like, he's in completely immersed. Right. Well, when you when you know a job and you do it well, it just becomes second nature, right? right? And so, like, he's just back in lawyer mode, and he's like, oh, that dipshit is asleep on the couch, and I, I want to do this portion of it now. So without thinking about it, he fucking goes outside, goes to the mailbox, unlocks the car, opens up the trunk, gets the box. Just pounded with electromagnetic waves. Yeah, but didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. Until, once again, Jimmy fucks it up, and he's <laughs> all happy that his brother went outside. He's like, hey, Chuck, in a really bad accent that I just did for some reason. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, hey. Awesome. Look, guy, you're like outside. Then he realizes the outside and kind of has like a freak out just as the show ends. Right. Which I didn't know how they were going to go because they made the comment last week where, hey, by next week, I'll be out here for five minutes. Right. And he definitely wasn't out there for five minutes. No. No. But I think, and I think I even said it right then, like my interpretation of that was like Chuck going, holy shit, this is all in my head. That's how you took that? That's how I took that. I took it as like he was just he was just on autopilot doing what he does, and then he came to the realization that he's outside with all the electromagnetic. You know, it's like like mm-hmm. if you ever cut yourself and it didn't hurt until you looked down at the cut. Yeah, kind of like that deal. Like he, he was just like, hey, I'm just walking around doing my shit, my lawyering shit, and then Saul congratulates him and it brings him out of his zone, mm-hmm. and then he's like, oh, you know, like shit, I'm being exposed. Right, and and that's how I took it. But you, but you took it as he had like like some self like realization, or or he will like maybe he did kind of be like holy shit I'm outside and mm-hmm. that froze him. But I maybe I'm projecting on it like I wanted it to happen. But yeah, like he's gonna realize, like I think that's gonna lead to him realizing it's all in his head. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the the way to counter that is he said he said he hopes to be up to like five minutes outside by the next week. Right. You know, and he could say, well, of course I was able to walk out to the car because even though I was busy, I was able to walk out to the car because I've, I've stood outside for a couple minutes before. Right. But, but obviously was, I didn't make it to the five minute mark where I'm tolerant of it. You know, it took me a couple minutes to get out there. But I, then, I, I was thinking about that, though. And um, the fact that he was struggling to count even through a minute and a half, mm-hmm. you know, he was still like every number was a struggle. He's, he was totally aware of what was going on mm-hmm. and he was fighting his way through it. That's why I think now that he sees that he can exist without even feeling it, mm. you know, like, I think this is going to be a step to him realizing it's in his head. All right. So before we, we wrap it up, then your prediction as far as 
Chuck's illness goes now that he was able to like use electric, mm-hmm. you know, I, like car openers and shit. Right. I, I think I still maintain because I said that he was going to walk into HHM mm-hmm. this episode. I'm I'm maintaining that uh, he's going to get over his psychosomatic in, uh, disease by the end of the season. I think now after seeing tonight's episode, I think he's going to relapse even harder. Think so? Think so. He was on the path to recovery, and then he had that huge realization that he's getting hit again. That on top of his anxiety that he was feeling before he went back to the negotiating table Mm -hmm. for the lawyer's meeting, I think it'll be too much for him to handle, and I think he'll severely relapse again. Okay. And then maybe that'll cost him the case because – Maybe Jimmy's not quite good enough to handle this on his own. Mm-hmm. And if Chuck's out of it, then, you know, Jimmy's outgunned. Okay. That's that's my prediction going forward. Okay. Everything, because like what we know from Breaking Bad, it's not like Saul's a success story, right? Right. And everything that shows so far, every time like he's going to have like a real legitimate success, he inadvertently does something to fuck it up. Right, right. Right. So I think by walking out and congratulating his brother and making a big deal of him being outside, now he's going to cause his brother to relapse. You know, kind of like kind of like a drug addict, you know, like everybody cheers him for being sober and then they relapse because they can't handle the pressure of everybody like being proud of them for, for mm-hmm. being sober and shit. Right. I see that the same way. Okay. So that's my predictions. My prediction is he gets over it. He gets over it. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to see next week. Maybe uh, we'll talk about that on preview with a prior this week. Yeah. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of It's All Good Man. Make sure to go to our website, itsallgoodman.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter. Check out uh, the It's All Good Men on location link where our buddy Travis down in Albuquerque takes pictures of locations from the show. Check out our interview with the Better Call Saul Location scouts at nothingimportantpodcast.com. Make sure to hit up our buddies over at calledassault.com. And not to give too many plugs, but one last one. Uh, today, Dave and I actually got to talk with uh, Aaron and Jim from Bald Move. They got a really good Better Call Saul podcast. Among many, many other really good podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a, a couple cool dudes, and I know a lot of our subscribers also subscribe to them. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of want to hear like, kind of how they do their podcasting and how how they've become what they've become, please make sure this week to check out nothingimportantpodcast.com. Dave? Call us idiots, call us geniuses, whatever, just call us. You heard me, you better call us.